Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Jake. Yes, sir. Did you know it is our anniversary month? How long have we been married? (laughs) No, the show. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I did know The that, show's actually. anniversary. We are turning six years old, and to celebrate that- We're going to first grade. We're <laughs> close. We're giving a discount on our Patreon. If you join the year-long subscription to the Patreon, you can get 15% off during the month of May. You can find out everything about our Patreon at patreon.com slash thecritshow, but all tiers for the month of May are 15% off when you sign up for the annual membership. Is that as exciting as first grade? You know, now that I'm kind of remembering back to first grade, that's far better than first grade. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Oh, hello. Great. So good. Hi. We are all here at the table. I love it. It's a good time. Oh, no. I hope that it will stay a good time. Oh, no. Look at the look on his face. But it may not. Uh, I'm so excited to be here for this specifically. (laughs) Our community manager, Mr. Mike, Mike the Mad. I like Mr. Mike. I've never called him Mr. Mike, but it sounds like a 90s '90s film. (laughs) Has sent us a gift in the honor of us trying things on mic for the intro how thoughtful oh geez that is a big bag it is a big bag five different kinds of candy oh geez one of those as it came out of the bag that one specifically it's got little like white and pink and stuff and then like dark i thought it was like a pair of socks in a bag like i thought it was a polka dots pair of socks wadded up in a bag and i was like oh that's an odd addition so what all do we have here Rev? so these all have different names he Heard us talking about our love of black licorice. Mm, well, I'm familiar. My love yeah. of black licorice. Uh, so some of these, we have mint buttons. That sounds harmless. Okay. Yeah. We have Rockies. I don't know what that is. We have Hexley Salty. <laughs> I know Go Megan on. likes one of those me? words. Go on. <laughs> uh, double Salt. All right. And lastly, Nostalgia. <laughs> oh, that sounds awful. I'm horrified. <laughs> So which of these do we want simply by the name? I'm I want to end on mint buttons. Yeah. That's fair. That's probably like a good be idea. A safe bet. Okay. Let's I want to start. Yeah, go ahead. Let's try the Okay, the the hexly salty. Hexly. Yeah. And it is. I should have pre-opened things. It kind of smells like chocolate, which is what he said to me. You sniffed it like a like a chew, like a bag of tobacco. You're all sniffing it. Tass looks not thrilled. You got to go in nose blind. That's true. That's true. That probably would be beneficial. Actually, that is a powerful scent coming out of that bag, so I didn't sniff it, and I still got it. I think the thing that's going to jar me the most is that this candy is covered in crystallization, and I'm expecting sweet, and it's going to be salty. It's going to be salty. It it smells like a a mocha. Are we doing like a three, two, one situation? Sure, yeah, yeah. Three, two, one. Yep. That's, oh my God. That's awful. I like it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That is just actual black licorice with 
hint of something else. It's god awful. Would you like the rest of the? I took a very tiny bite and spit it out immediately. I did it. I finished it, but oh, oh, cost. Yeah, oh no. boy, at what cost? Oh, I wonder if we should. It. I wonder if we should test a mint button now, so that we know if we so can, can we, we palate cleanse can, in between. Can they rounds? be aperitifs? I'll try a mint button. If, okay, I'll I'll do that first. Okay, here you go. If this Open is black this. licorice, I'll do that for you. And mint. That is like the double worst candy that I could I, ever imagine. It doesn't imagine. say anything about it, except that they are all Dutch licorice brand. That's true. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think this experiment may be over before it started. Kim, what what do you think from someone that likes? Black licorice. I've never seen Jake go so dead-eyed so fast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind it. I'm so glad. I am so relieved for you. I'm so glad that we can put all of this with you. (laughs) We can send all this with you. I'm the only one here that's having a good time. (laughs) We should wash this down with some Jägermeister. This is why we waited (laughs) for Kim to be here, though, because we knew she would. I watched Rev just sniff that bag and almost, almost... Fold. What's what's that one called? Uh, it is called Rockies. Okay. And they're filled with pink and yellow in the middle. Mm. Yeah. What's Such pink and yellow? Oh, sorry, pink and Kim. Kim, tell me. Eat that. Tell me what's modifying the black licorice, so I know if I'm remotely willing to try it. Okay. I'm so. Oh, it's good. This one has like has like a like raspberry fill. I'm gonna give me one, and I'm gonna see if I can squeeze the raspberry fill out of the middle. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite so far. Honestly, those ones do not taste very much like black licorice. They just kind of taste like licorice. (laughs) Rev took a tiny bite and then put it aside. Immediately spit it back out. I'm trying to join Jake here in peeling the the raspberry. I got the core clean out. I've almost got mine. Yeah? It tastes like a Tums. Oh, can I have one? I would love a Tums right now. (laughs) I don't think it's going to help you like a Tums. (laughs) Okay, so you got two choices. Nostalgia or double salt. I feel like I want to save nostalgia for last. Yeah. I'll let you open this one. Okay. What, are, what is I, nostalgia I'll let you open this one like? while I write a nasty letter to Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see him this weekend. He's going to get his comeuppance. Mike is giving me no reasons to trust him. <laughs> Mike has given me several reasons not to in the last... Specifically, yes. Yeah, in the last seven days. So I'm interested in this one because it's not salty on the outside at all, which tells me that maybe it's on the inside. Same. Oh, yeah. You guys will not like this. This is oh, extremely no. salty black licorice. Oh. I got to say, though, we're, we're giving Mike some shit. But out of fairness, here is what happened. Here's the actual literal order of events. Us. We hate black licorice. Mike sends us black licorice. Us. I guess we'll eat it. Let's Mike. consume the black licorice. <laughs> this is not <laughs> yeah. really his fault. Yeah. No, I don't accept that. <laughs> it's his fault because... Of course, he sent it to us. Of course, we have to eat it. It's the courteous thing to do. (laughs) He foisted it upon us with Midwestern manners. (laughs) He's going to make it up to me, though, because I'm going to visit him this weekend, and we're going to do the Cincinnati Donut Trail. Bring me me some. Yeah. Here's the last one. This is nostalgia. I like that they're uh, penny-farthing bicycles. Yeah, they sure are. Oh, it's it's like a hard candy. Oh, oh, it's very hard. Okay. (laughs) Uh, all right, let's, oh. tr- let's try one. Oh, a very hard licorice. We're getting really good Kim chewing ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> this better. Normally, not a- you have to pledge a very high tier on the Patreon. Yeah, this better not awaken that. anything in me. <laughs> <laughs> so these ones don't really taste like anything to me. Yeah, it really doesn't have a taste. I, I'm chewing on the tire of one. Mm. Mm, Tires just, famously, just like childhood. Give me, give me one of those. I'll do a, I'll do a nibble on that. Which is weird because it still smells greatly. 
of it, but it doesn't taste like it. So I think my favorite one was the Rockies, the well, one that had like the fruit filling. One of them is like a little growler instead of a penny farthing bite. <laughs> oh, there's sewing machines in here? What is this? It's like an old timey like le- street light lantern. <laughs> <laughs> this one, that tasted more like root beer oh. than black licorice. So just all of Tass's nightmares. Yeah. yeah, all in one place. And then, yeah, there's like an oil lamp. I think I'd rather drink the oil. Or like a like a street lamp <laughs> called Desire. Uh, so thank you, Mike, for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks, thanks Mike. Mike. We'll see how much of that is, is, is audible. Just a reminder that if you are going to be at Gen Con and you would like to join us for our meetup and our live show right across the street at the Indiana Repertory Theater, you can go to thecritshowpodcast.com slash Gen Con to sign up. It is limited seating, so if you'd like to join, make sure you RSVP very soon uh, because we are running out of spaces. Uh, we hope that you enjoy the Q&A for Season 3, and we will see you next week with the beginning of Season 4. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Season 3 Q&A, and welcome to all of the folk around the table. How's it going, everybody? Hey! You Good. hit a pitch that is usually only audible to dogs. Oh. Yeah, I got way up there. How's it going, everybody? Woo! (laughs) Well, let's see what kind of questions we have got. I'm excited. Uh, So this question is for everybody. Do you find that switching games but keeping the same overarching story can get confusing? If so, how do you combat it? I mean, kind of for for my brain because I'm just so bad at keeping mechanics in my head, but like not, not enough that it is detrimental to what we're doing or like... I don't know. It's it's not a bad thing. It's it's so much fun. And the way to combat that for me is, um, you know, I start to say and do the wrong thing, and you all and you all go no. So yeah, it, it's pretty very <laughs> a very active yeah combating yeah. It's pretty good. It's a real a best offense is a good defense kind of yeah combating. yeah. I I can't tell if the implication in this question is that switching games and not keeping the same overarching story might be less confusing. Like it's definitely less confusing not also having to change stories oh i think if it was just like a big series of like one shots would be different stories and different games i think that would be harder to keep um, like maybe i don't know no I, I i get the idea of like oh you're keeping the same story but you're switching games because if you're playing a story you kind of have that story in your mind and you have your move set in your mind so when you're coming up to situations you kind of have this idea already in your head of what to look out for because of something you might do. So the idea of switching a new game but being within the same story, you do have to kind of keep in mind like, oh, wait, shit, no, I can't do that here. And that happens at the table definitely where that literally exact same sentence is said of like, oh, wait, nope, that doesn't make sense anymore. When I have to stop and say what my actual move is now. Yeah, but you all do prep for that, right? I mean, I know at least for the Sprawl and for Dungeon World, you all did kind of trial games to get familiar with the new system. Yeah, as part of our Session Zero, we always do a one-shot of the system we're getting ready to play. Yeah, it's kind of nice, because, I mean, there are certainly some things, like very specific moves and stuff that we might lose and then pick up, but like that's kind of the fun of it, is justifying, now that we're here, why does it work this way? Mm. Um, so that that can be fun and silly and interesting. Um, and luckily enough, powered by the apocalypse, games are just similar enough that we can find those things that are like, oh, this is like the closest equivalent to that. That's why it makes sense that I can do it, but not exactly the same way. Yeah, because really, if we butcher anything in the session zero, it's moves or elements unique to that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, we have our 
movesets and everything for this new system in front of us at the table. So as we're playing through this game, we're following the story. We have that story in our head so we can look down and kind of see like, this is the situation we're in now. So I don't I don't find it too difficult to follow along. I have a question for Rev. Mm-hmm. Well, not for me, but you know. <laughs> Are you trying to steal this person's question? I absolutely oh, am. Oh, no. Um, how many of the alternate universes do you have planned out versus make up as the crew chooses to go somewhere? Is there the chance of them accidentally traveling somewhere? Uh, the universes are... Like, I, it would be impossible for me to just be like, okay, now you guys are here because we all have to know the game. <laughs> right, right. Um, so that's the only element. Like, whenever we pick a new game and we play a new game, everybody at the table knows what that game is, usually before the characters do, um, because we have started to prep playing that game, but they don't know the world. Like, they don't know what environment they'll be coming into X game at the X games at. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> oh. Yes, can that please be yes, the next the world we can't wait for the X games universe? <laughs> uh, with the exception of the time that we went back to Dungeon World, that was just like I went. Hell, here's your playbooks. We're back in Dungeon World. Yeah. So there was no prep needed for that. But yes, the worlds and the games are planned ahead of time. <laughs> was Megan in the audience for the Florida Man live show at Gen Con? I'm pretty sure I can hear her laugh on the recording. Yeah, I was there. I was front row. I was front row center of that row, ready, excited. It was great. It was funny. I laugh. I have a very distinct laugh. It was me. Yeah. <laughs> Laughing yeah. directly into a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Might have gotten more sound on the mic than some of us at the table. But that was because that was the episode where TJ was holding his microphone out randomly to the audience. <laughs> No, actually, I would run up <laughs> and just to laugh the table and <laughs> laugh into Tass's microphone and then go sit back down. Uh, I have a question for Rev. What were some of the more interesting monsters in Nash's prison? Uh, I didn't have a lot of them planned out, but there was a Gorgon because like, we'd only seen like a fake Gorgon. So I knew that there was a real Gorgon in Nash's prison. Uh, and then there was also a couple of gargoyles, which at the time we had not encountered gargoyles yet. Nice. But other than that, I didn't want to generate a bunch of monsters because I have no idea who you're going to interact with. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Gorgon. That's cool. Now, I did put my friend Brad in that world. Mm. What what kind of monster was he? <laughs> uh, you tell me. Like, what I kind don't... of monster would he be? Oh, geez. I don't... Fucking eviscerate Brad right <laughs> yeah, now. I was like, I don't think I can answer this question, actually. <laughs> uh, all right. This next question is for Rev. The Grampire Megan storyline is Vampire. full- Vampa. <laughs> Look, this says Grampire, so we're going no, with it. But every time that question comes, or anything regarding that character comes up in the Discord and somebody says Grampire, Tass is always right there to just correct them and go Vampire. And if they say Vampa, he'll be like Grampire. <laughs> That's exactly what happened at the table every time it was said to. <laughs> All right. The Vampa Megan storyline is full of such lovely, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Grampire. Ignore what he's doing. We are we are totally with you. I feel like I'm being hazed. <laughs> <laughs> so much so, in fact, that I'm not sure I followed all its twists and turns. Could you do a step-by-step chronological walkthrough of all the time-hopping shenanigans involving Grandpa Nash and Megan? Okay. <laughs> wow, Rev, where did this whiteboard come from? <laughs> <laughs> so not step-by-step, but yes. So in the timeline that Nash had lived through, he had succeeded in his goal. Uh, the world was all turned into monsters. Megan was his chosen, and together they kind of led uh, the world. And then humanity, what was left of them, attacked and just annihilated everything. 
uh, as Megan, who had tried to defend a huge portion of the city with her powers from the bombs, as she died, Nash realized that, you know, getting to know her, getting to know this human, it, it had changed him. He made a promise to her that he would try to fix things. And he used a spell that he had been studying to throw himself back in time. He threw himself back in time to when Megan was much younger and it took him directly to Megan in the timeline that we now live in. Because again, with time travel, we are dealing with the ideas that we are taught in Back to the Future and things like that, where it is time is a river. If you go back and you change something about the river, it flows in a different direction. We're not making a multiverse here. Uh, we have a multiverse in a completely other way. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to adjust the timeline he realizes he can't get too close to his present self because it creates huge chaotic magic. Uh, so he leaves a notebook inside of the igloo for uh, TJ and the guys to find. His hope was that them finding and being able to unlock Noel would be enough uh, to change things. But obviously that was not the case. Uh, and so now this old Nash is living through this timeline trying to figure out what adjustments he can make to foil the plans of his current timeline version. Yeah, that I think that hit it all. Okay. You look you looked concerned. Well, I think that was I, good. I'm so used to it that I don't know if it makes sense to anybody else. Yeah, yeah, fair. Hi, I'm Yusuf Dahl, and when I was 18, I was convicted of selling drugs. For the past three years, I've had difficulty finding housing because it is legal in the United States to discriminate against individuals that have a past drug distribution conviction on their record for life. It doesn't matter if it was a hard drug like heroin or a drug that's now legal or partially legal in many states across the country like marijuana. The Thurman Amendment was introduced to the Fair Housing Act in 1988 by segregationist Strom Thurman and it's since been used to deny housing to all people. But because people of color are disproportionately jailed for drug charges, we are affected more. My goal is to overturn this amendment to start an end to housing discrimination that unfairly targets people of color. If you would like to join this movement, please visit ThurmanAmendment.org to learn more. A message from the Fable and Folly Network. All right, uh, Rev, we know now that Nash is tied to Megan's backstory, but before you knew Megan was going to be on the show, uh, was it always a plan to tie Nash into whoever the newest cast member was, or was that something that worked out with Megan's specific character? That was something that was very specific to Megan's character. Do we talk about that at your or directly after your audition? Um, it was it was a little bit. Like we like I like I got cast and then it was a while, obviously, before I I showed up in the story. Yeah. So there was a bit of, you know, Figuring out, okay, how exactly am I going to fit in here? Because, I mean, you guys knew that you wanted somebody new in. And then it was like, okay, well, what is that going to look like? And yeah. Rev and I threw around a couple of ideas. And that was uh, maybe some options of, like, this might happen. Um, but it wasn't actually kind of concrete because it was an idea. And I kind of was like, oh, okay, well, like, how could I, how how would I do that? And <laughs> I think I got, like, a little nervous. Um, and Rev kind of noted that. And he was just like actually don't worry about it like that might be what it is but yeah like you'll know in the moment if it is yeah because i i mean as a as a player in general i don't like spoilers i i want to know what my character knows because then i can i'm not i'm not as good of an actress so i can more authentically react and experience the the story in the game based on what my character knows um and so he was just like this like going into going into the story 
these are the few things that you know about just who you are as a person. Yeah. And if we kind of go that direction, like you'll know in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of tracked the ideas to make sure that it fits. And then at that point went, okay, so this might be used. It may not. Let's not worry about it right now. But we do know if we decide to use it, that the footprints match up with the path that needs to be walked. Um, so yeah, it was specific to Megan's character because of the whole community and grandpa element made it an interesting way to connect him into that community. I'm trying to think of what some of the, because we, we did throw around a couple different options. Yeah, we definitely had the idea that I was Lana and Anastasia's daughter. Yes, that's right. But we decided against that. We thought maybe that was a little much for Anastasia to lose her wife and then also have and, lost her daughter. Yeah. And Yeah. We just kind of established some facts of like where I'm from, what I can do, how that started and how I got to the point where the boys found me. And I didn't know where that was going to be or what that was going to look like. But I knew that I was going to be have manifested these powers. Something happened to make them go out of control. I would have left home in search of answers. And then that was kind of it. I didn't know anything up to the, the point of when I was actually found. Yeah. Uh, this is one actually I think we kind of answered, which is next, is uh, how much of Megan's character slash backstory was planned Ahead of time versus improvised during play, for example, her abilities, her connection to Nash, uh, and how she joined the party. Yeah, the backstory, the the connection to Nash was a possibility, like you said, um, and it, I didn't know that that was for sure where we were going until the moment we went to Hawaii and were watching the the memory, and Reb just kind of looked at me like, <laughs> da da da, yep, you see Nash, this is gonna this is gonna happen. Yeah, he held up the uh, one single finger and. <laughs> <laughs> she snapped her fingers and it's great. But as far as when I actually came into the story, I did not know anything about the pocket dimension. Um, we actually, like my very first day, sat down for a recording and I, I was still in South Dakota at the time. So I'm in my closet, I'm, like super nervous. I had my laptop <laughs> open and I was going and Rev kind of did the intro to the episode um, where the boys are in Margaritaville. And <laughs> you walk up to the door and knock and Megan, you know, like there's this knock at your door. What do you do? And I'm like, what door? <laughs> like, I don't know where I am, like anything about the scenario. And he, just, and he went, stop your recording. Like, that's right. I should probably fill you in just like a little bit here. Like, and then we just kind of went through a, like, where do you work? It's like, yeah, I work at Pet Grooming Salon just in this town. Like I have a house and everything. And that's basically it. You do your day. What does your day to day life look like? And it was like, yeah, I, I go to work and then I go meet up with my friend Brad for drinks and they go home. And I didn't know that it was a time loop. Yeah. So he was just like, all right, that's, that's what you know. Yeah, that was really nice from just the complete sideline perspective, too, of like meeting a character and trying to get to know her in character and her having absolutely no idea what was going on any more than the rest of us. So it really did put us all on the same footing of solving this mystery, which is really tough to do when a character is interjected into an established story, because, I mean, it's almost expected that you have to know a certain amount of things to be able to be quote unquote caught up yeah. with the story. But what a cool way to be like, no, you don't, you don't need to know any of this. You're in now let's hit the ground running. And um, so that was a bizarre and interesting way to interact with her and, and learn about who she was. I love that. It's definitely preferable for me as well as just as a player of like, cool, I don't know anything. That would have been very difficult for me, I think, a little bit as a player and as a fan of the show, having listened to everything up to that point to then remember like, oh, I don't know about that. I was able to kind of go forward from that point and just say like, 
oh, I, I, yeah, I don't, I haven't heard that name yet. So I don't know who that is. So I'm going to ask about it. And we were able to kind of do a little bit of a recap as the story went on. I'm going to do this question as well, because it's along those same lines. You talked about uh, how originally there was a third cast member who's going to be joining uh, at the same time as Megan and then wasn't able to join. That changed where the boys found Megan. Uh, what was the reason for shifting to the pocket verse instead of bringing Kim in at the same time? So, again, this whole this kind of element of bringing Megan in, um, you know, we talked about before that Josh wasn't able to join uh, at the last minute because of scheduling conflicts. And we had actually recorded, gosh, two or three of his episodes with Megan. I think we can talk about this because it, you know, obviously we have moved well past that point in the plot. But Megan being brought in and Josh being brought in had a very different story. Season two originally ended with Jake and Tass teleporting away from the North Pole and then snow falling in silence and then the sounds of two pairs of feet walking in the snow and it was Josh and Megan and they would have had a very small conversation about like, it seems like they're gone already. Yeah, it was too late. We'll have to keep looking for them. And then the break between season two and three would have been, I think it was six episodes, three story arcs, one where Josh and Megan met one where Josh and Megan had an adventure and then at the end of it saw Jake's broadcast from the fight at Monument Circle. And then the final one would have been the mystery that led them up to the point where they have those lines in the North Pole at the end of season two. Boy, I forgot all about that, that we were doing like a yeah, like meeting, a yeah, jump. like a one, two, three kind of thing. Yeah. That's right. And so when Josh wasn't able to do it, it totally reformed the way that I was going to try to bring Megan in and I didn't want to try to bring Kim in like just do what I was going to do with Josh with like Kim. try to cast me as Josh yeah <laughs> yeah because that would not have been like interesting for Kim and it wouldn't really have fit I just would have been like well okay this fits here and that's not fun I don't think for anybody and we'll talk about Kim's timing here in just a little bit but that that's when I think Megan and I had that conversation of like okay so how are you connected to this world who could you be linked to and then that kind of turned into a whole process uh, that led us down that Nash conversation and that then, you know, plopped her into the pocket dimension and me knowing her connection to that. Uh, and then we'll talk about Kim's joining here in a little bit. We've got some questions about that. Rev, how did the idea of the wandering in come about? Oh, man, that was uh, from that packet of Dungeon World environments, uh, the inn that wanders. But for me... Like, I grabbed a hold of that because of Tales from the Floating Vagabond, which is a very old RPG, uh, where the whole premise is that there is a bar called the Floating Vagabond that lives out in space, and the front door to it teleports randomly through time and space into other doorways so that any character from history, past, present, or future, fiction, nonfiction, can appear in the bar. So the point of that game is that you play whoever you want to play. So you could have a team of, like... Abe Lincoln, Wiley Coyote, and Master Chief. Yes. Uh, I played a game where there was um, Mr. Magoo, Inspector Gadget, uh, Toe Jam from Toe Jam and Earl, <laughs> and who was the fourth one? Uh, anyway, but that was the, the party makeup. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like that's pull, pull a name from a hat kind of yeah. game. Yeah, for sure. And we got Trog back from it. That's true. Rev. In season one, where Lana talks about the storm that was making it hard for her to see the future, was that the same storm created when Nash and Nash were near each other? And did you have time travel Nash in mind that far back? Yes, and yes. 
that was the thing that was making it so Lana could not see the future anymore because the future was being changed. So she started having that issue of seeing into the future at the point where that Nash traveled back and started to be physically closer to the other Nash. Noise. Rev, when you are describing the wall mural of the spell in Esten's castle, is it the same scene that was shown to the group back in the Funhouse story arc where TJ is being fed apples and writing a complex problem? It is. It was the same spell. It was the same complex problem. Man, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I should, I need to listen to this show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Did TJ ever give an explanation for the letter, the one he left in the mailbox before his identity changed in season one? Uh, He did not. That was just something that he was very adamant about including uh, in the little write-up that he gave me to read there. Uh, So, you know. He's dead now. He's, he's taken he's, to his grave. He's, he's a mystery. The secret yeah. died with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that, that little blurb that I read uh, was something that TJ had uh, bullet pointed out. He told me it was just a shopping list. Like, don't, uh, don't he just work. gave it to a stranger. Please get this done. <laughs> Crew, uh, how are you feeling about working with Grandpa Tincher without TJ on the show? I didn't know either of them, so it's fine for yeah, me. <laughs> right, is this uh, cast or characters? Uh, it says crew, so maybe cast first. Fair. Uh, honestly, I mean, mostly it is just, you know, it's dealing with an NPC. So there is that kind of element of not sadness, but, you know, it, it's kind of reminiscent to be like, oh, you know, it's it's TJ's grandpa. But um, the thought of going into this next season and being able to interact with him, it's a beloved NPC that we got to spend some cool time with and and get some good information with. So it's chill. I'm I'm excited. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I think once I'm sure there will be an inevitable conversation about that or something. And I'm, I I like all of the interactions we do have about TJ, like with all the various NPCs that do ask and like that we have to have this conversation. And I enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, and I think this one will probably be pretty good because it's one of the most personal ones yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, Grandpa Tincher was a was a a well liked NPC. Regardless, so I'm I'm excited to have him back in the fold. Uh, I'm glad that you enjoy having that conversation because it seems like it was you that got like every time, asked yeah, every <laughs> single time, yeah. yep. every time in season like, three. Ori yeah. and, <laughs> and Trog. Trog, everybody. Rev, uh, what was the inspiration for bringing Grandpa Tincher for the finale of Other Side of the Coin, and how long was that in the works? <laughs> how long did it take you to get him? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> just. Booked. He was very booked. <laughs> he had a lot of other commitments. It was not cheap. We had to raise enough money on our Patreon to pay his appearance fee. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that was a big question mark. Like, if I am a sim, there was a huge question mark above my head <laughs> when we found out that TJ had to leave because I was like, we just spent half a season rescuing his grandfather. What am I going to do with him now? Like, he, yeah. he still needs to be relevant. And so when the plan came to go into the future, those dominoes seemed to fall in my mind. It just made sense that, like, oh, he knew it was going to take him quite a while to find his way back. It makes sense that he is one of the people who is there in the future, uh, especially because his aging is affected uh, by all the dimensions he has traveled to. So um, it just kind of made sense to me. Uh, and I think once we get into season four and learn what, he's doing here uh it'll make even more sense yeah boy that's a story i want to see just like i want to see steve rogers returning the infinity stones i want to see grandpa's 
progression through all these different worlds and timelines to to get home. Yeah. His his quantum leap life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh Kim, how has it been recording remotely and in a different time zone? Uh it's been fine, honestly. At this point I do most of my thinking in Eastern Standard God Time. God bless her. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz we work with so many people and not all of them in the same time zone. But from like day 1 Kim has always talked to me only in Eastern time, which is wonderful because the number of nosebleeds I get has cut back significantly. <laughs> not not completely, but significantly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the time zone thing isn't really a factor. In fact, in many respects, I really like it because I do a lot of performing. I do a lot of working in clubs in Los Angeles. And so wrapping up recording around like... or. Wrapping up recording or streaming around 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. for me is fantastic because then I just go right to work. Uh, same thing with Sundays. I usually teach music lessons Sunday morning. So I'm usually up at like 8 a.m. and then teaching until like 11. And then I record with you all from like 11 to 7. It's perfect, actually. Yeah. Uh, the remote thing definitely has taken a little bit of adjusting to. It's been a lot of back and forth of Rev and myself figuring out the ideal setup for that, like mailing microphones back yeah. and forth and adjusting various uh, audio levels and things like that, uh, because I have to do my own processing and my own monitoring to make sure that everything is recording correctly. And so if something is weird, I have to kind of in the moment troubleshoot it and be like, OK, pause. Something strange is going on with my recording. And so that's taken a little bit of adjusting to just that I can't be completely in the moment at the table. I have to also be checking my other monitor to make sure things are recording OK. Um, but, you know, you learn, you adjust. Yeah. And I think the in distance in the sense of like the actual playing of the games was something that was new to us locally because we hadn't streamed much when it comes to RPGs, but as soon as we started streaming more and having guests, like now that element of, you know, we have it set up so that Kim is on a big monitor right at the corner of the table. And so it's like she is sitting here at the table. Um, and then we have a microphone in the middle of the table for her to hear all of us. And then she's coming to us through our headphones. It's so funny that, you know, when we were initially holding auditions out of all of us, I was super hesitant about the idea of distance, but even after the the year and a half that we've had, like I don't, it, it has not affected the quality of things we've been able to capture, which is nice. Nice. Um, yeah. And actually, I am recording this right now at the table. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Coincidentally, it's not dealing with this problem Coincidentally, right now. Coincidentally, <laughs> I am in person, but uh, because I've been here for the last week and a half uh, recording a bunch of things and... I was initially worried the first time that I sat down to record something that I was I was going to be really nervous being in person for the first time. And I haven't really noticed uh, any significant change. It feels pretty much the same to me, except now I can reach out and touch you all. <laughs> but you can't fiddle with your notebook. That's true. Just just in your own downtime. That's something that everybody has... I got used to that just in the in the in the month that I was out at my brother's. <laughs> I got used to just being like, we I can do whatever the hell I want if I'm not talking because all this is going away. <laughs> that oh. has been the thing. And we just recorded some things earlier today where I'm so used to writing down notes and being on a completely not even separate audio channel, but a separate room yeah. from anyone else. And so I'm like, I'm not talking right now. I can just flip all through my papers. And so Rev was doing some narration and I was flipping a page and he paused and he looked at me and I was like, <laughs> just so shame faced. Yeah, because that's the big thing that you don't realize, I think, is that all of our microphones pick up a little bit of bleed from one another. So if someone 
is at distance, they have the benefit of if they're not talking, they can make all the noise they want because that space in the track is just going away. But if that noise is happening under someone else talking, you hear it bleed through. Uh, when I was still recording remotely, I did have the issue of my pages being picked up because I, I take very detailed notes and I just had a lot of papers everywhere. And Rev absolutely was like, I can I can hear all your papers moving. And so I <laughs> I actually had a whole setup where I had like my notebook that I would look back on notes on the floor and then a side table next to my chair and then like my microphone out on an arm. So I would lean way over to talk onto my microphone and then lean away like as far as I could from my microphone and like write notes on a separate table, <laughs> like twist my entire upper body and listen to the boys and take notes. And then when I would say something, I'd have to travel back over and lean into the microphone. <laughs> she had to install a tram system in her home <laughs> to get from one to the other. Yeah, And then I would flip pages on the floor so that it wouldn't pick up the microphone because I was trying to be so quiet. It works a lot better now that you're just using a permanent marker on a sheet. Like that's much quieter. <laughs> Oh, so felty. <laughs> uh, that was that was something that uh, Kim and I talked about, the difference being at the table versus being remote. Uh, because when we were remote, we would show up early and we would just each be in our closets <laughs> and like hang out on the chat. And then the boys would join. And we'd see them like at the table. Um, and so she got here and she was like, this room is a lot smaller in person. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, for some reason, like seeing them on camera, like what you don't see, you just imagine there's a lot more space. Yeah, it's a wide angle lens and... I have the fisheye turned on, so it looks like we're in a mansion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this question is for everyone. If you are at liberty to tell us, what playbooks will everyone be playing next season? Oh, no, man. I'm not at liberty to say. (laughs) I've turned (laughs) off. Why did we include the question? (laughs) I didn't want want anyone to think that her question was skipped or missed. Oh, man. What a a shutdown. Yeah, so anyway, suck it. Next question. (laughs) Next question. I, for one, am 100% at liberty to say. But, but I refuse. <laughs> I, have, I have really enjoyed the speculation as to the playbook that I will be yeah. playing, but I can't say anything more than that. I've just really liked watching people talk about it. We should just like say playbooks from like some random fucking I'll, game that don't make any sense. I'll be the one to break the secrecy. I'm playing the cobbler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sorry, the... not like a shoemaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're uh, the one trying to get cobbler dominancy. <laughs> I'm the jellyfish. Nice. I'm the pop filter. <laughs> oh, buddy. Taz, Taz oh, is like, oh. I'm not playing. This <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, this is a weird one for me to ask. What prompted the timing of when Kim joined at the end of the season? <laughs> I think you're going to have to wait until season four to get that answer. Like the the big thing about bringing new people in is. You don't want to just be like, okay, and here's another person. Like, there's got to be a good, strong reason in the story because I want to make sure that anyone that gets added into the story, one, has a dynamic entrance. They they have a moment that is unique for them and, like, that it's different than anyone else's reason for being here. And I'm excited for people to hear season four because Megan talked before about how there was this element of her not knowing what was going on and we almost had kind of a little bit of a recap in the episodes for listeners as things happened because she was asking questions and we don't know a whole lot about Kim just yet but we do know that she is there waiting in the moment when you all arrive in the future so obviously this is someone who knows some stuff 
Um, yeah, it really was just, <laughs> it was a matter of the right time that fit into the story where a, a character was needed and added something. Yeah, I think for just a little behind the scenes timeline stuff. So I was cast in Crit Show Studios around February 19, but just for Perilous Tides and for bonus stuff and streams and things like that. And I think it was about a year because I don't think you talked to me about the possibility of me joining COIN until February 2020 was around when you and I finally talked about it. And it was very much like, hey, there's this, you know, depending on how the rest of the season goes, because again, who knows? Because yeah. we are having this conversation in February about episodes that were going to come out in May. Um, there's a possibility that you might join in season four. Let's talk about what that would be. And so it was a lot of Rev and I talking back and forth about what sort of character I might play or the situations in which they might meet me. Mm-hmm. And we bounced a lot of ideas back and forth before we settled on the one that we ended up going with. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't know when you start the season where the season is going to go and end. But and I, I think I've said this before that for the most part, I think for all the seasons, seven or eight episodes out from the end of the season, I have a pretty good sense of what everyone is trying to do and where I think it's going to go. And so then being able to like, OK, let's do a little groundwork here in these last few episodes um, to establish her entrance in in, for in this instance yeah so i think it was about like three months between rev and i having the the initial conversation of i think you might be joining coin to me finally recording dialogue for that uh for the season three finale i think i did that around the beginning of may yeah i know this isn't season three specific but as a trans listener i have a question are there any npcs that have been introduced that are transgender or non-binary uh yeah from season three double o serum is non-binary and uh, from season one nat is transgender uh one last question this is for everybody if you could have literally anyone guest star on the show who would your dream guest star be it might be because i was just talking about him like two days ago I still think it's a good answer. I don't know if it's ultimate, but I feel like Elijah would be real fun to play RPGs with. My answer has changed. I think right now, because of how I could work it into the story, it would be Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like if I could have him as a guest. I've given multiple answers to this question multiple times in the past, so I think I'm just going to keep changing it every time to cast as wide of a net as possible. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that hopefully just only the mention with their name in it, gets to each of these celebrities, and then maybe kind of we'll get each one of them one nice. at a time. If you are one of the people I named in a prior episode, don't stop listening now, because I'm going to talk about you, of course, obviously. <laughs> I was going to say Dave Batista for some reason. All right. Like, Dave Batista knows what Dave Batista wants and, <laughs> like, won't take any shit, it seems. Yeah. Like, that would be fun. That would be a fun energy to have. The way you said that made it sound like he refers to himself in the third it person. Did. <laughs> if you think... For a second, that Dave Batista does not refer to Dave Batista as, at least uh, as Batista. <laughs> it just the sounds Batista? like you are being him right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just people I want to hang out with, like Bill Hader. Bill Hader, come be on our show. I would love that day. That'd be good. Or like John Mulaney. I don't know. There's so many. Patrick Stewart, come be on our show. I wondered if a non-SNL writer was going to come up on this list. <laughs> There's just so many. Conan O'Brien, not, hey, come hang out. Patrick Stewart's season as an SNL writer. Oh, shit. 
All right, that is our final question for the Season 3 Q&A. Do any of you at the table have any questions about Season 3? Can can we get Seth Green on? For Season 3, no, it's over, Tess. Dang it. Yeah. I can't figure out how to explain this to you. <laughs> it's over. People can't <laughs> be in things that already What are... about Season 2? I, I'm i going to take him out of here. Yeah, okay. Um, Kim, get in his chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, uh, buddy. Finally. Let's get, let's, get these, let's get this guy out of here. He's had a long day. He needs a nap. Uh, stay tuned for the season four teaser, and we'll see you next week for the beginning of season four. Clark Duke. Greg Clark. Michael Clark Duncan. Clark Barr. <laughs> we are in the remains of a once great city. Tall towers and gleaming buildings replaced with piles of rubble and hulking hollow husks. Smoke and ash fill the air, but in the light cast by a nearby blaze, we can make out a figure kneeling in the street. His white hair, pinstriped suit, and thin glasses are all coated in a layer of grime and char. As we get closer to him, we can see that he is cradling a young woman in his arms. She isn't breathing. The whites of her eyes are filled with red blotches, and her blue hair shifts gently in the breeze. He knows he could bring her back, simply rewind the space she now occupies an hour, maybe two, and pull her into the now. But that won't fix anything. They'll keep coming. Now that the first strike has happened, they'll be emboldened. The world he saw in his dreams is gone. It wasn't supposed to be this way. We pan back as he gently lowers her to the ground and stands, lifting his gaze to take in the scene around him. All those hard decisions, those decades of ceaseless work, and this is what he has to show for it. But his eyes drift back down to her. And in this moment, he realizes it is not the destruction of his perfect world or the collapse of his careful and meticulous plans that have hurt him so. It is the loss of her. He knows this world was never meant to be his. He wanted to leave it behind for her and all those like her. Suddenly, in the distance, we can hear footfalls, gunfire, and the voices of men getting closer. His eyes dart in the direction of the voices, and then his gaze softens. But perhaps it's not too late. He quickly kneels and pulls an ornate dagger from a sheath at his ankle. He slowly spins in place, drawing a shallow circle around him with the blade of the dagger. He then scratches a dozen runes around the circle and pauses, his brow furrowing as he makes a handful of minor adjustments to each of the runes. Satisfied with the changes, he slices the palm of his hand and presses it to the inside of the circle. He looks up towards the unmoving woman one last time. I will set this right. This is not the world you will inherit shouting from the men as they spot him in the street and begin to open fire. He speaks a series of words which ring out loud over the gunfire, and in a burst of energy, he is gone. But the burst of energy doesn't stop at the edge of the circle. It flows out, rippling over everything and everyone in the area. And as the ripple passes over the soldiers and the fires and the broken buildings, they are replaced with a lively, bustling city, not all of its inhabitants human-looking. Some of them fly through the air on gossamer wings, Others pass through walls as they take the most direct route to their destination. In the bright light of day, with all of the sound and movement of the city, we pull back into the mouth of an alley, and there is a ripple in the air. Then a spark of electricity and the sound of radio static, and a man tumbles from the rippling air, and then the alley is quiet once more. He is dressed in mismatched clothing, a rebreather over his mouth and goggles covering his eyes. He quickly stands and pulls back the sleeve of his jacket to reveal a metal clockwork arm. He checks a series of gauges on the underside of the wrist and pulls the rebreather off. I did it. <laughs> I'm home. <laughs> he takes a step out of the alley and pulls his goggles up, examining the scene before him. Oh, this is new. 
but having been a stranger in many strange lands already, he only allows himself a moment to gawk before he pulls the goggles back down, pulls a hood up over his head, and steps out of the alley, disappearing into the crowd of the bustling city. The Crit Show is a Crit Show Studios production, edited and produced by Brandon Wentz with music by Jake Purley. You can find more information about us at thecritshowpodcast.com. To keep up to date with upcoming live shows, contests, and other special events, follow us at The Crit Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For even more weekly content, join us at patreon.com slash thecritshow. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Hello! Contact Day is in but a few short months, which means it is time to begin preparations for the Bi-Decennial Festival. This year, we're celebrating every single one of you living in my beloved Windfall City. It is not our business to question the Queen's will. It is not our business to do anything but follow it. It is you. And your loyalty that has laid the groundwork for this incredible utopian society that we seek for. Do you have any idea what's going on with us? It is the duty of each and every one of you to do everything you can to make the festival a success this year. Are you ready to speak kindly with me now, child? I have no doubt that this year will be one for the history books. And that will be due in no small part to the dedication of my adoring subject. Windfall, a dystopian science fiction podcast from Rogue Dialogue.